Welcome everyone to 451 Degrees, the anti-censorship podcast on the Unsafe Space Network. Joining me today is Dave Seminara. Hey, good Welcome. morning. Thank you. Good morning to you too. This will be airing in the afternoon, but yes, it is the morning <laughs> when we're doing this. Um, very early for me because I'm in Phoenix. But um, you are the author of Mad Travelers. Uh, a Tale of Wonderlust, Greed, and the Quest to Reach the Ends of the Earth, Footsteps of the Federer, which that's about the tennis player, yes? That's about Roger Federer, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Um, where, where else? Uh, your titles are so long. <laughs> breakfast <laughs> for, yeah, Breakfast for Polygamous, Dispatches from the Margins of the Americas, Bed, Breakfast, and Drunken Threats. Uh, dispatches from the margins of Europe. Uh, so you you have the they're most they're like travel books, um, so nonfiction, and yep. um, and and you've traveled a lot in your life. Formerly, you were in the U.S. Foreign Service, and you uh, were at embassies in Macedonia, Trinidad, and Hungary. And I, I when I was looking you up, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And part of me was like wanting to pick your brain a little bit about how you think about how the U.S. is handling their foreign policy a bit, because it seems to be, from my perspective, a bit of a debacle. Mm. <laughs> Man, but we'll see if we have time, let's get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I was also doing my research, though, I found you have now a lot of people ask this question of, you know, like, how do I know what company not to work with that are woke? It's so frustrating. And uh, but you actually have a list on your website of all these companies that have proven themselves woke, either by um, I know that if they protested the Georgia um, voting bill, if they uh, protested the Florida um, bill about um, that they call don't say gay, which isn't true. And then some other ones. And um, like uh, what I know you said you started making that list because you said you would just love to be able to like, I know you have an article saying I would love to have a shave that wasn't woke. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, also have like uh, articles about how do you know which companies are woke and and like so you would like to keep updating that list yes oh I've continued to update that you know the reason why that started was a couple of years ago I wrote uh, I've written a couple pieces about woke corporations for the Wall Street Journal and I I've never received so much feedback about anything I've ever written in my life because it really resonates with a lot of people who are frustrated with how and, and not just Republicans either, but just people in general are really sick of companies virtue signaling and being woke. And I got so much feedback. And most of the people who were writing to me were saying, do you happen to have a list of woke companies? And I didn't, but I got that message so often that I thought, okay, there's a demand for this and I don't see anybody else doing it. So yes, I have maintained uh, lists of woke companies on my website and it's getting longer and longer and longer and longer. So now the question people are asking me is, do you have a list of companies that aren't woke? So I think, that, <laughs> so I think maybe when I retire, I'll work on that project, but trying to find companies that aren't woke, that now that takes some real detective work. It doesn't take a, you know, uh, Inspector Clouseau to find woke corporations these days, unfortunately. Well, yeah, exactly. Cause there, there was the Nabisco, you know, like 
commercial for Oreos and then um, the Gillette commercial where like, oh no, you can't talk to women on the street randomly. Like just like they, they virtue signal so often that it's actually kind of easy to spot them when they do it. Um, Now, do you think that these woke companies are truly woke or do you think they are just playing to a certain demographic to try to get like either their business or to try to whitewash some of the stuff that they might do that is not exactly progressive? Oh, I think both. I think all of the above. I think in some cases that the um, the leadership of these companies, they are true believers, especially when you start talking about companies that are in Silicon Valley or other, you know, much more progressive areas of the country. I think in some cases that the these people are true believers. They really are left. Um, but I think in many cases, they're not. <laughs> they're just cynically trying to get the left off of their backs, because let's face it, uh, putting out a tweet about Pride Month, that doesn't cost anything, does it? No, I suppose not. Um I, I think a lot of a lot of people have recognized, though, that the the fact that they're willing to virtue signal in in Europe and uh, the U.S., but not for especially for Pride Month, but not in say the Middle East, makes it like you know kind of obvious that they're they are lying to some regard about how they actually feel about it, you know. Um, but uh, you have uh, you have an, speaking of the idea of other nations and everything, you have an article called to fully appreciate America, you have to leave it. And I think this is a big topic among people who, who talk about the culture war that a lot of the people who say they hate America have never been outside of America. They've never been to one of these nations like uh, that is socialist or, or similar. And it's kind of like, it's 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 a it's an argumentative failing of theirs to say that and them to have never gone anywhere else. Um, but I think you have a much more positive take on it, though, because you're basically saying expand your horizons. And I wait. Where do you think? What do you? What do you think the benefits are of specifically of going to another nation? For, as uh, well, I, I believe in travel. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I, I call myself on my website a pathological traveler. And uh, I, I am an addict. And I mean that in the truest sense of the term. I am a compulsive traveler. And I think that there's, there's, there's pros and cons to travel. You can go a little too far with it. But I think you do get a you can't really have a perspective of the world if you're in the United States all the time. Um, a lot of our problems are first world problems. Um, we do have, we still, still do have relatively clean water, um, that we can drink. I mean, you'd be amazed how many, how few countries around the world you can just drink tap water from. That's a, that's, that's a simple pleasure, but every problem that we face, none of them, we don't have a single problem in this country that is unique to America. And that includes policeman misconduct. It includes racism. It includes sexism. It includes homophobia. And in fact, you know, if I had to rate, there's 193 countries in the world, according to the United Nations. If I had to rate our country in terms of any of those problems that I just mentioned, police misconduct, racism, sexism, homophobia, any of those, I would say we are amongst the top 10 best countries in the world in any measure that you choose to take. So try, 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 try your luck in Uzbekistan. Try your luck in Mauritania. Try your luck in, in Qatar. See how far you get. 
Um, so that bothers me when, 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 when people point out problems that we have and try to make it seem as though we're the only country in the world that has that problem. No, uh, look at every country in the world for racism, every country in the world. Look at, look at Mexico, for example. I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. Turn on the television stations in Mexico. Look at all of the white faces you see. Do you see any indigenous faces when you turn on the news, when you turn on Mexican soap operas? Uh, no, you see people like Jorge Ramos, who's, who's, uh, who's you know, got blue eyes and white skin. Um, racism is not an American problem. It's a global problem. It's a global phenomenon. I don't want to go on too long and long here, but yes, absolutely travel. And don't just travel to uh, the Cinque Terre and to Florence and to London. Travel to uncomfortable places. When you look at the list of 193 countries, only about 25 or 30 of those are countries that people go on vacation in, for the most part. Only 25 or 30 of those countries of, out of 193 are countries that most people would actually want to live in were Americans, right? So you've got 100, 150 countries out there whose citizens want to get out. 100 countries is probably about, a, a, maybe even more than that. There's probably 100, 125 countries in the world that are sending people out, that people are looking to escape, that are looking to flee. And where do they want to come? The number one country in the world that migrants and refugees would like to come to is the United States. And guess what? That is true. Whatever region you survey could be Africa. It could be Latin America. It doesn't matter. You ask people, where would you like to go? And they say the United States. Well, really, that's why would you want to go to the United States? It's such an awful, horrible, racist, terrible country, right? Well, guess what? That's news to a lot of people around the country. They haven't gotten that press release. Yeah, I, I once asked that question in a conversation. I was like, wait a minute, if they if this place is really so bad, why does everybody want to come here? And, you know, because it puts to the lie the argument that this place is terrible. It's obviously the U.S. is not terrible. I mean, or at least we are a much better than a lot of places if a lot of people still want to come here. Oh. It, it, <laughs> it's it's, but, it's we live in very ignorant times, unfortunately. That's true. Uh, that is very true. Now you write, you've been writing some more conservative leaning articles for a while. You've written on immigration. I saw you did write about uh, Ukrainian um, immig immigrants wanting to come here, but you have a huge list of uh, articles that you've written. And uh, some of them are on sports, which I found kind of interesting, uh, but it makes sense considering you wrote a uh, book about Federer. Um, but in like why immigration enforcement is a necessary evil. Uh, that's from 2017. Like, so this is, these have been around for a while. And, um, uh, and I, so the, I know you said that this is most likely the reason why you faced um, difficulties with Goodreads with reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I wouldn't say that your articles are all that inflammatory. All right. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, try to, I, try to be, I try to be as anti-inflammatory as I can be, but I'm not exactly prednisone. <laughs> that, that made sense to me because I used to take prednisone. <laughs> me too. But, um, yeah. Uh, but like there's this – I know that – so what happened was is that you got a review on Mad Travelers – can that, I put can I put review in air quotes while we're at it? Yeah, review. Uh, I don't consider this a real review either. That said that you clearly hate women, mm. and um, 
but the 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 topic of the book has nothing to do with women. There's no women in it. Uh, it's based on real things that happen. So there's uh, and the idea. I know this is their next track. Oh, so he wrote a book without any women in it. So that and that's somehow oh, evidence that he doesn't hate women. Go yeah, ahead. To, to, to clarify, there are some women in the book. However, the, character, the characters in the book are all men. And for a specific reason is that the book is about wanderlust. And it's at, in order to tell the story about wanderlust and what a powerful force wanderlust is and how it makes us want to travel. I used a central story uh, about a young British gentleman who the world's most traveled people thought was a billionaire who was taking them to some really incredible and exotic places. But then eventually it turned out that this person was not who they thought he was. He was not a billionaire. In fact, he was a, he's a working class young man and um, he owed them an awful lot of money and, and scheduled a lot of trips that never ended up happening. I don't want to give away really sort of the ending of the book, but all of these people, the, the young William, William Bakelin is the name of the individual. They thought that's what his name was. He's the main character of the book. And many of the world's most traveled people um, came under his spell and were taking trips with him. And so the, the central story um, can, is about those people, and they were all men. So I could not change that. It's a nonfiction book. I couldn't change the fact that all the characters were men. However, um, I did also cite examples of great female um, travelers in time and history and great female explorers in the book. And I also consulted some female experts um, about wanderlust and about pathological travel and stuff like that, because there have been some women, especially in Australia, who've done some really interesting research about travel. So it's not exactly accurate to say there's no women whatsoever in the book, but the characters are all men. And so when I got this review, quote unquote review, and I'll, I'll, I'll just read an, a, a tiny little bit of it just so you get an idea of what we're talking about. I have it here on my phone. The, the author of this, first of all, you're, on Goodreads, you're allowed to shelve your review. So it has like a, a title on it. And it was shelved under awful garbage. <laughs> so we we're off to a rough start from the beginning. And she said that um, that that uh, everybody in the everyone in the book is insufferable, selfish, immature, greedy losers. And that includes the author in, in this book, including the author is just the worst. All right. Bad, but fair game. Right. But then when she got to the. She was pretty sure that the author hates women. That's where that's where I cried foul. And it would be one thing. She didn't say the author hates women because he wrote X, Y, or Z, or because the book doesn't have female characters, or she didn't explain herself. She just yeah. lobbed that lobbed that grenade out there that the author hates women and didn't explain herself, nor in her review did she have any content about the book whatsoever, leading me to wonder whether she'd even read it. So when I saw that, I looked at the um, the terms of uh, not the terms of service, but the guidelines, the review guidelines on Goodreads to see if such reviews were permitted. And it seemed as though they were not because there was a um, there is a rule against personal attacks and ad hominem attacks. So I thought but no content about the book saying that I'm the worst and I hate women and so on and so forth. That's that's a personal attack. So I flagged it and I thought this will be removed. Uh, but it wasn't. You know, a few days went by. I flagged it again. And it was upheld. For, for what reason? You don't know because you're not dealing with a live person. You flag things. You can send them messages. Goodreads on a contact box. Goodreads is based in San Francisco, by the way. Um, and so what you get back is kind of a form email from who knows who, if it's a human being or you don't know what it is, right? So I did not receive a response. And so I looked at this woman to see who was this. And this was not a person leaving reviews anonymously, right? A lot of people are anonymous internet trolls. And there's nothing you can do about them because they list themselves as, you know, KMG 
23 or Michael Jordan fan 23 or something like that, right? This was not that situation. She left this review under her real name with a real photo of herself. And, you know, I don't remember here, but I think she may have also on her profile had a link to one of her websites. So it turned out that this person has three different websites, all using her same profile photo, same name. And the name was not, you know, Jane Smith. So it was, you know, an unusual enough name that you knew it was her. So I don't remember, I don't remember if I saw her website linked on her Goodreads profile or not, to be honest with you, or if I Googled her, but one way or another, after they refused to remove the review, I thought I would like to email this person if I, and ask her what she meant by this. Why would she say something like that about me? And, and I responded in the same way I would, if someone had written the same sort of review about me in the Washington Post, I would have done the same thing. Essentially like a letter to the editor type situation, right? So Goodreads wouldn't remove it. I saw on her website that she had a contact box, a contact me box. So I contacted her using a box on her website. And again, she didn't have to respond if she didn't want to, right? I sent her a contact uh, request saying, I'm the author of this book. I saw what you wrote. Why, why would you say that I hate women? And she responded from her personal email address, right? Uh, stating, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the email in front of me, but stating essentially that you portrayed all of the female characters in the book are portrayed as villains. And I thought, female characters in the book? First of all, there aren't any female characters in the book. Secondly, the only person who could be portrayed as a villain in the book is William Bakeland, the young man, right, who was posing as a billionaire. Uh, so I asked her, what female characters are you talking about? And she never responded. And I thought, what are you going to do? I chalked it up and I thought, well, that's the end of that. Uh, that's the end of that situation. Nothing I can do about it. I tried to get it removed. I tried to get an explanation. That's it. But a couple of days later, um, I checked the Goodreads page again. And I saw that, you know, on Goodreads, the way a lot of these websites work is not just Goodreads, but Google, Amazon, all of their metrics work is that the most liked reviews are the ones that are bumped up to the very top. Not necessarily the default setting isn't newest reviews, it's most liked. So her review, she'd gotten a number of people to like it. So now when you looked at my book on, on Goodreads, the very first thing you saw was her review stating that I hate women. I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. So this is not great. Um, so then at that point, um, I saw it. And not only had, had was her review there, but she also had a comment stating that I, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry, I don't have it right in front of you, but something along the lines of I hunted down her personal email address and harassed her and tried to bully her into removing her review, something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she wrote something like that on there. I thought, oh boy. And this is the first thing you see on Goodreads when, when someone looks, some unsuspecting person looks up my book, not knowing who I am, anything about me is that I hate women and that I hunted her personal email address down and so forth, right? So at this point I went back to the thread from before and I said, I'm going to call her Courtney, even though her name isn't Courtney, because that's the article that I wrote about this affair in City Journal. I referred to her as Courtney, so I'm going to refer to her as Courtney. I said, Courtney, why are you why are you lying about me? Please stop telling lies about me online. Something very curtain to the point like that. And she responded back and said, don't contact me again. I said, OK, fine. I don't want to. Believe me, I'm not enjoying our correspondence anyways. Believe me, I don't want to be your friend. Fine. So I thought I'm never going to contact her again. Anyways, 
unrelated conversation I'm having with, of all people, William Bakeland a few days later, maybe a week later. Okay, well, again, William Bakeland is the young uh, billionaire from my book, quote unquote billionaire from my book. Okay, we were talking because uh, there was a film production company in the UK that was interested in purchasing the film rights to my book, Mad Travelers, and they wanted William's participation. So I was corresponding with William to see whether he'd be interested in that. And William had just happened to have told me that he sued a British newspaper who wrote an article about him. He claimed that he received an out-of-court settlement in his favor for uh, libel. And I thought, that's really interesting. And so I sent William a link to my Goodreads page and said, somebody just wrote a review about me. And I think that, that you know, I think was libelous. And he said, uh, let me take a look at it. And of course, I never thought that he was going to take the initiative to also send this woman an email, but he did because he took offense to the first part of his of her review because mind you, he's the main character of the book. And she, you heard my quote, I'm not going to read it again, what she said about the people in the book, right? So he took offense to her review as well, too. And, and I have to say, William is a bit of a, he's a bit of a wild card. Uh, he, he forwarded me the next day or a day later what he sent to her. Now, meanwhile, mind you, this happens, right? I don't know what's going on. I send William this thing. The next day I get an, like an urgent phone call from the publisher, my publisher, Post Hill Press, okay? Now, Post Hill Press is a relatively small publisher. However, they are um, the, they have a distribution agreement with Simon & Schuster, okay? One of the biggest publishing companies in the world. And Simon & Schuster distributes all of my books, both Footsteps of Fetter and uh, Mad Travelers, okay? And the publisher, I'm telling you this, you know, essentially paraphrasing, what he's saying is that you have a big, we've got a big problem on our hands here because you have someone who is calling lots of people at Simon & Schuster and Amazon and Goodreads and trying to get you canceled. And I said, you're kidding me. What is going on here? And by this point, I hadn't even checked my email that yet day, right? So I thought, oh, this is bad. Okay, this is very bad. And he said, just lay low right now. We'll try to put out the fire, whatever, whatever. I told him the facts. Then I go to check my email. And I see there's an email from William Bakelin. And I thought, oh, no. And William was forwarding me his correspondence with Courtney. I thought, oh, no. So he contacted Courtney and said in a nutshell that he was going to sue her. He threatened her with a lawsuit, right? And mind you, William, William is known for threatening people with lawsuits. While I was researching the book, William threatened me repeatedly with lawsuits because he was worried what, was gonna, what I was going to write in my book and that I wasn't going to be fair and so on and so forth, right? So I was also a target of, of, of William at one point while I was researching this. And then surprisingly, as it turned out, the book came out and William loved it, which really surprised me more than anyone after all the lawsuit threats. But anyways, so I thought, oh, no, this is bad. And I'm looking at the correspondence between Courtney and William not the real name of either one of them, by the way. And uh, Courtney was telling William that I know this is you, Dave. So quit trying to pretend like you are William Bakeland. So she thought that this wasn't really William Bakeland contacting her, but actually me impersonating the quote unquote villain from my book. So are you following along here? Hope this isn't getting too confusing for everyone here. So Weirdly enough, the purported villain of my book, right, came to my defense, but not me asking him to, not me wanting him to. If he'd asked me, I would have said, do not contact her. Please don't do that. But he did. Right. And then my nemesis, this woman who's trying to get me canceled with my distributor and with it pulled, my books pulled off of Amazon, uh, Simon and Schuster trying to stop distributing me, thinks that I'm impersonating William. Oh, what a mess. What a mess. So. William says, I, I told William, William, please do stop, first of all. 
send her a message back telling her that it is you and not me. And please do not, and then don't send, don't email her ever again. Right. So he said, fine, I'll do that. And he said, also, I will leave a review because then by this point, okay, then after I see the email from William, I went back onto my Goodreads page and all of a sudden my books, not just Mad Travelers, but all four of them are getting slammed, getting absolutely slammed, not just with her, but she got a lot of people to not only write either one-star reviews or, or, or on the thing on Goodreads is too, which really, I think, you know, emboldens people, cancel culture is that you can also just rate books. You don't even have to leave a review. So you can just click one star and you're done in two seconds, right? So a lot of people wrote negative, bad things about me, but a lot of other people just were slamming all four of my books. Boom, boom, boom. You can slam. I've got four books out. You can slam one star on all four of them. It takes 15 seconds on, on, on Goodreads. That's how quickly you can trash somebody. So my books, to give you an idea, like Footsteps of Federer, for example, I think before this cancellation campaign, my, I was, my average was at like 4.15 stars or something like that. I looked on the page that morning and it was down to like 3.75, which to go that far, it takes, you know, in one morning, that's quite a bit. So I'm looking at these things and I had literally dozens of people who had given me one star ratings and some people one star reviews, but more troublingly, they were all, um, a number of them um, wrote things echoing her comments saying that I hate women or that I'm a misogynist and so on and so forth. Continue. And again, not a single one of them with a, with an ounce of corroboration, not, Seminar hates women for whatever reasons. And a couple of them were saying again that I bullied Courtney and that I harassed her and was stalking her and threatening her with lawsuits. Right. And um, in that vein, and, th and they were all liking each other's reviews, too, of saying this. Right. And by this point, Courtney had deleted her review and deleted her entire profile from Goodreads. So a couple of the reviews said that she felt so scared of me that she deleted her Goodreads profile and so on and so forth, because I was threatening her with lawsuits. Oh, my goodness. Total nightmare, right? So I thought how I felt literally under siege. I've never felt so powerless in my entire life, because all of a sudden, all of the decades of building up your reputation, trying to build your reputation as an honest writer, as an honest person, as a good and decent person, as the, you know, as a as a father, as a husband, all of a sudden, this isn't just people saying that your book sucks, right? You know, as an author, as a writer, I'm used to people saying that you, you have to get used to rejection and critiques as a writer, right? I'm used to people saying the thing that you wrote is wrong because of X, Y, or Z reason. I'm used to people saying this is boring, this sucks, or this stinks for whatever reason. What I'm not, what I was not used to until April of this year was people saying, you're a horrible person, you're a bad person, which is what all these people were saying about me. And so I felt completely under attack and I thought, well, how do I defend myself now, right? Publishers telling me to be quiet, don't do anything. And all they were hoping for was this thing to blow over. And, you know, my publisher reminded me too. He said, you sell 70% of your books on Amazon. He said, you know, we cannot risk you <laughs> falling on the wrong side of Amazon, right? And we cannot risk having our, you know, our distribution with uh, Simon & Schuster jeopardized, right? And you're talking about two very woke corporations. Simon and Schuster and Amazon, they're going to take her side. doesn't matter whether the truth is on my side, you know, doesn't make any difference. And by the way, as I was corresponding with, you know, some faceless people on Goodreads um, at this point, I sent them e-copies of all my books. And I said, please, I know, show me any offending material in any of the four books that I've written. Show me a quote, show me one sentence that I've written 
which would corroborate a claim that I have some ill feelings towards women. Send me one thing, nothing. They couldn't send me anything because there's nothing in any of them. So in any event, long story short, of all people, William Bakelin again tries to come to my defense because I think at this point he feels very bad that he's poked, provoked these people, right? And now they think that I'm impersonating him. So he responded to the, the reviews saying that I was you know, threatening her with lawsuits and so on and so forth, saying that that was him and setting the record straight on all of this. And so he tried to set the record straight for me and he left what was the best five-star review of any of my books I have ever read in my life. Of all people, he understood the book, I think, better than anyone, being the main character in it. It was really a beautiful review, I have to say. I read it and I thought, okay, at least something positive has happened here. I've got, I've got one nice, I got one nice five review and dozens of one stars. Okay. An hour or two after he left that review and sent it to me, I got an email from Goodreads and so did he. Both of us were kicked off of the platform. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm leaving one step out. And then I also, since I couldn't, I, I could not, um, I tried to respond to some of the comments about me. Um, saying that I hate women and that I was threatening to sue her and all those things. My comments were immediately deleted. Okay. Now, mind you, all the things that I flagged, none of them were deleted. They were all maintained on there. But my reply to her, which contained no vulgarity, no personal attacks, just setting the record straight. I did not threaten to sue anyone, et cetera, et cetera. Those were deleted by Goodreads. Okay. And so that I thought, wow, I cannot do this. So what, what can I do? I left myself a review at the top of my page which wasn't a review of my book, but setting the record straight, saying, A, I do not hate women, B, I never threatened to sue anyone, so on and so forth. And then that got kicked, and then I was kicked off of Goodreads within an hour of leaving that. Within one hour, I got an email from Goodreads, and so did William. They, re they, re they, re they revoked William's comments, okay? All of the comments that William made responding to people saying, no, it was him trying to sue, were all deleted. His five-star review deleted, my review deleted, everything deleted. He and I canceled and kicked off of the platform. And this is the reader's website. There is, I, I, I can't think of anything that even comes close to Goodreads for where people who read a lot go for their community and to speak to, the, to writers or for writers to speak to their audiences. Like, I feel like that is like one of the biggest websites out there, uh, if not the biggest one. So oh, if no. you, yeah. So to me, it, it's pretty harsh to have it. Only one side is visible now on that you website. You can't defend yourself and you can't defend you, yourself. I was literally kicked off of the website for trying to defend myself factually. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's. That's very, very horrible. And I, and I know they, they, and I think you brought this up, the idea that they say that, uh, oh, well, when we cancel people, sometimes those, they always bring up a like, like a really, really huge name to say that, see, they still survived. And it's like, you're picking like, and like you say, we tried to cancel Elon Musk or JK Rowling and right. it didn't work. Like, that's not a really great evidence for all the people who are lower down on the steps like you. Uh, I mean, it's like it's it, you're not small, but you're not you're not like uncancelable. There's nothing. No, this is a good. No, this is a really good point, And I want to address that because you're right about that. And so J.K. Rowling's books might have 5000 reviews, each one of them. Right. 
So, but, but most books are not like that. Like my books, uh, you know, might have 30, 40, 50 reviews. And that's what most books have. If you look at Goodreads, right? If it's not a number one bestseller, it doesn't have hundreds or thousands of reviews. Okay. So prior to this cancel culture storm against me, my books had dozens, you know, dozens of reviews, but not hundreds. Right. So if someone only has 30, 40, 50 reviews, you can, you can, a small group of people, you know, of a couple dozen, maybe 20 people, something like that can, can, can really can really sink a book's uh, ratings and reviews because you know if you try to sink J.K. Rowling, you could give her fifty one star reviews. It's only going to budge her, you know, her star rating a tiny little bit, right? And those those negative reviews are going to get lost and miss the thousands of other reviews that are there. But for books like mine, I'm somebody like me is actually pretty easy to to target. Well, and they act as though uh, they don't target. Uh, there's a lot of this. Well, they don't target people like that. It's like clearly they do. They they because they'll they'll go after anyone they think that they can take out. Honestly, yeah. um, but and then the their other um, defense though is that it's accountability culture. But they're like according to you, what they're trying to hold you accountable for, they have no evidence for. It's just a radioactive term they've thrown at you uh, right. and branded you with. And um, there's and the, the fact that now I'm a I'm a firm believer in due process and I don't believe in mob mentalities when it comes to judging people. So to me, I'm sort of like there's no there's no court of opinion here where you're getting your side out there. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I'm, I don't think that's uh, acceptable in a supposedly civilized society. A mob is not civilized and that's what came after you. Um, also on top of that, the fact that she called it harassment after you emailed her twice, yeah. like that's kind of an overreaction, honestly. Um but um, she also so, I'm leaving one thing out, too, that there was also uh, somebody uh, probably obviously people who know her because nobody else nobody else would know about our correspondence unless she told them. Right. So there was also somebody on Twitter who started started a lot of this, too, by saying the quote said, today I am targeting Dave Seminara. I literally started the tweet, literally started like that. Right. And this is you know the reason why I'm not even on Twitter. Right. So I couldn't defend myself against that. And I didn't find out about it until later. But somebody obviously associated with her because nobody else would know about our correspondence, you know, if they didn't, she didn't tell them. So that sort of started there. And I think that that's sort of where the campaign got whipped up. And Courtney herself also was tweeting at different publications that I write for. Um, so she was not only contacting, you know, Amazon and Goodreads, Goodreads is owned by Amazon, Goodreads and Amazon and Simon and Schuster and also Post Hill Press, but she was also tweeting at publications that I've written for. So for example, the New York Times, she was tweeting at New York Times um, that I her, her phrase was that I lightly doxed her, whatever that means. Like, how do you dox someone when you are you are emailing them from your personal email address? But I so I thought that was rich. So um, I think that it wasn't just Goodreads that the that, that, that Twitter also also enabled this mob and unleashed this mob against me. And the frustrating thing is that, um, you know, is the fact that Goodreads is allowing this space to be a platform for sort of personal attacks. And as long as it's sort of, um, I think that what happened too is that with the one big mistake I made with Goodreads is in, in one of my correspondences, I, I, I wrote to them and I said, 
I don't know exactly why this group is after me, but, you know, I have written a number of um, conservative themed um, columns over the years in the Wall Street Journal and other publications. And I said that could be part of it. And I think that that's probably a mistake when you're corresponding with, you know, a company like Goodreads based in San Francisco. They thought, ah, aha. So they weren't going to take my side. So in retrospect, I wished I hadn't done that. However, they probably were going to Google me and find out anyways. So I don't know what if, if it would have made any difference, but they weren't going to take my side in this, which is fine. But the frustrating thing was to not even allow my allow me to defend myself, I thought, and to provide a platform for all of these people to assassinate my character with z- literally zero references from my books. I mean, you're supposed to be writing reviews of books, not your you know, not just attacking people as human beings. So now that you've gone through that, do you suggest to people who create content to reach out to people who write erroneous reviews after this? Like, or I just part of me thinks maybe a hands-off approach would be better. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering like, do you, is that what you took from this experience? No, I wouldn't do that again. I mean, the only reason I reached out to her was this the sheer frustration of, you know, curiosity and frustration. On the on the one hand, it was frustration that, that Goodreads wouldn't wouldn't remove her comment, even though it violated their their community guidelines, their community rules. But also there was just this I'm a very this is something I wrote about in the book. One of the key factors of Wanderlust is curiosity. The people who have extreme wanderlust like myself were hyper curious people. I actually really wanted to know. And I guess I naively thought that perhaps she would tell me why she wrote what she wrote. And I guess that was, you know, naive to think that I might actually get any satisfaction out of it. But I really was kind of curious because um, even though I have written, you know, conservative themed columns, I've never written anything, you know, about women's issues. Like I don't, I don't write about abortion. I don't write about feminism. I don't write about anything like that. So I guess I really wanted to know what did I write that made you think I was such a horrible person? You just can't help but wonder, you know? Yeah, that, that no, makes I don't sense. recommend it. But in answer to your question, sorry, no, <laughs> yeah. I don't, rec- I don't, I don't recommend that at all. And I think you know, in retrospect, that's the only mistake I made. I never should have contacted her at all. But I don't regret trying to defend myself. And yeah, I, everything that I wrote on Goodreads, I would write again today. And I also don't like the um, I don't like the approach of being quiet about it, too, which a number of different people counseled me to do. Oh, just let it blow over. No, I'm not going to let it blow over. I'm going to tell this story because I am a writer and this is what happened to me. And the story should be told. I agree with that. I do think that, yeah, there's a fine line of what to walk on that and maybe like making a statement about to defend yourself, but maybe not reaching out to some, to an individual like that is probably best because my, my thought is there's so many people with cluster B personality disorders out there and you never know when you're going to like trip yeah. on one. <laughs> and I feel like you did trip on one, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm, I'm leaving one thing out that is kind of important. I think too, actually, the other thing also is that this person on their websites that on at least one of their websites that she maintains um, Courtney, she, she has a book review tab. So she's, she's a book reviewer and a writer. So to me, this is also something different. It's like, you've got random members of the public and then you have book reviewers, right. And, and actually journalists, writers, right. So now, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, she's a super successful writer or journalist or anything like that, but she has written apparently, 
um, a lot of she has published articles and she writes book reviews as well, too. So to me, it was like this is not an ordinary member of the public, if you know what I mean. This is somebody who I don't know if she actually makes money from what she does or not, but she is a freelance writer. You know, she has published articles. She writes book reviews. So to me, it was sort of like this is not the same, again, as like, you know, Joe Blow 23 writing an anonymous review about you somewhere is that I feel like when someone who has is writing in the, under their real name and writes book reviews and such like that says you hate women or whatever, I think that carries a little more weight than a not an anonymous troll. Like at least I don't know about you, but like when I read reviews or comments about things, I give more weight to a review or a comment if it's from a real person, seemingly a real person who has shown me their photo and their name, don't you? So to me, it seemed a little bit more real. Well, uh, she's kind of when it in in the world of um, book reviews, kind of what we would put in the realm of influencers. You know, she has wow. maybe just a small following, but enough, or is trying to cultivate one. Right. Um, so that makes I, I mean, y you're right. That does make it different. She's not just some random person. Um, and it's, I find this kind of ironic, though, the idea that you've got all these one star reviews and ratings because they constantly, especially when it comes to movies on Rotten Tomatoes, they constantly claim that the public is review bombing or that they've got bots review bombing like a movie that no one likes because it's woke. Usually that's the reason why. Um, but that is it feels like that's literally what happened to your book. To your books once someone decided that you were um an ist of some kind and uh and again you just when someone just lobs one of those radioactive terms at you it seems like they're given a lot of weight whether or not there's any evidence behind it regardless of whether or not you were able to defend yourself if they let you keep your uh statements up there i i mean a lot of these people would still believe it you know, sadly, I think the there's this crowd of people that we're not seeing. And these are the people that you're trying to, you know, tell that you're not sexist in some way that are not doing they're not taking part in the reviews, but they're they're going to your Goodreads to see whether or not they want to read your book. And it has nothing to do right. with you as a person. And they don't care. They're not part of this whole battle that is going on in the culture. They just want to read a book and, uh, but then they see all these reviews and then they don't get to see your responses to them. And I, I'd say that's the, usually the real problem we're having here is that those are the people we're, we're missing. Uh, we're missing that we're not arguing against essentially the, this mob or that influencer we're arguing to let those people who are not part of the fight know what's actually going on. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that's missed a lot in the discourse. Uh, they're like, Oh, you can't win an argument with these people. You're right. You can, that's not who you're trying to win the argument with. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think you're aware of that from what you've said uh, here today. Now um, this this website is completely, uh, this, this podcast is completely about um, censorship and how it's bad. Now, having experienced a big tech cancellation for Goodreads and a mob assault, uh, which do you consider like the worst type of censorship? Self-censorship, 
mob censorship, industry censorship, uh, big tech, or government? Oof. That's an extremely difficult question. I, they're all they're all terrible. Um, I I don't I don't know. I think I guess you know from my perspective they're all really bad. Self censorship is 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 right up there though I would say because people are afraid to speak their minds in this country at, at this in this in this in this era, aren't they? And I think that's kind of one of the most frustrating things. But you know, also being silenced by a big tech company too is also incredibly frustrating because you feel completely powerless. I mean, you know, in my situation, um, I felt like the things that were being said about me were as damaging as they could possibly be, right? Because something like 70% of books are purchased by women. So almost the worst thing you can say about a writer is that they hate women. There are a few things that you could say that are worse than that, really. I mean, if they said that I spent time in prison for selling crack, I don't think that would be as damaging as saying that he hates women. And it wasn't just like people were saying, like in the first line of these things after her original review, beware, this author is, you know, like, you know, all caps. Like, I mean, it wasn't like they were just hiding this and otherwise reviews about with content about my book. And these reviews are just being allowed to set there. So all of those forms of censorship are very bad. Self-censorship is very in, insidious because um, people feel like you have to be very quiet. And especially I shouldn't say people, but I say, it, you know, it's not just conservatives, but I think especially self-censorship is very evident on the right these days, because if you are a leftist and you work for whatever corporation, Nabisco or Amazon or whomever, you can pretty much get away with spouting your opinions so long as they are fashionable ones and you don't have to do a whole lot of self-censorship. I don't see a ton of people self-censoring on the left. I'm sure some people are. I mean, it would really depend upon, I think the self-censorship on the left would probably be not at big companies, but I think that if you live in, let's say, you know, Alabama or Texas and, you know, you work for a trucking company or a landscaping company or some small company that's not woke at all and you're a liberal, I'm sure people like that practice a lot of self-censorship, um, you know, but on the right, <laughs> I think it's more it's much more common because all the big employers these days are, are woke. So I think there's a lot of self-censorship on the right. People are afraid of what to say unless they're sure, not even at work and such like that, but I find even in mixed company that those of us who have conservative viewpoints, including myself, I don't bring up, I don't bring up politics. I don't want to talk politics with my friends because I know some of them agree with me and some of them don't. So I really only even talk politics with friends of mine who I'm, who I'm certain agree with me. And I already know agree with me because I just want to maintain friendly relations with my friends and my relatives. I don't want to argue politics and I know I'm not going to convince anybody of anything. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, everybody, most of us have our minds made up about things, right? So there is a tremendous degree of self-censorship. I don't know what can be done about it, but with respect to my case and, and with Goodreads, which is owned by Amazon, if I find a, um, some sort of a legal defense fund who would like to sue Amazon over this, I would love to do that. I would love to take this company to court because I think that what they did to me was illegal, but I would like to have that proven in a court of law. I think a, a lot of our audience would agree with you and would probably support that as well. Um, I definitely don't think that it was uh, morally right of them to do so. Uh, and, and beyond that, it, I do believe it was illegal because by their own policies, like you said, they had ad, ad hominems were not allowed and that's exactly what they allowed. Um, so to me, I'm like right there, that, that was, that's enough legally. Um, but I, uh, I believe that 
I, you talked about having to self-censor around political topics, around people you're not sure whether or not they agree with you. Do you ever find that people, like we, you mentioned the fact that leftists who work for left, you know, left-leaning companies are vocal. Uh, they don't feel the need to self-censor. Do you ever feel like there is in personal relationships that left-leaning people don't feel the need to self-censor? Either? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I find that a lot. And especially, you know, in my line of work as a writer, I think a lot of my, um, as I said, because I do you know, t- try to keep my politics quiet uh, to some degree, as much as you can, if you're writing for some of the largest newspapers in the world and you're spouting your opinions. But the interesting thing is you can exist in a in a different sort of ecosystem. The really interesting thing is I've got like friends and relatives of mine who probably don't even know that I'm, con- that I'm conservative leaning at all, because the thing is they would never bother reading something in the wall street journal for example you know what i mean so that's the really interesting thing is you can exist in totally different universes and they literally will never even find that stuff because liberals do not look at conservative publications it's very easy to ignore conservative media but it's very hard for us conservatives to totally ignore the mainstream media because you're sort of inundated with it and it's all it's part of the culture so you know if you have a netflix account if you have hulu if you have if you watch any sort of television at all you can't really insulate yourself in a conservative cocoon you could try but it's it's very difficult but liberals can do so very successfully so yeah i mean there are there are plenty of people who can who just assume because i'm a writer that i'm liberal and yet i hear things like you know and i live in florida too the dreaded state of florida which liberals absolutely despise so I hear, you know, I have like some liberal friends have said things to me like, oh, I don't know how you could stand to live in Florida. God, it must be really hard on you. It must be really tough. I think, yeah, God, it's 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 awful, isn't it? And I, you know, I don't correct them, but I don't lie. But I think, oh, yeah, just try to move on to a different topic, because I think, really, you really think that I'm sitting here crying about living in Florida. No, I like it here, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, actually looking to move to Florida or Texas because uh, Arizona is becoming more and more blue, Maricopa especially. But um, yeah, I have I, I actually agree with you. I think they're more they're less likely to realize that the people around them may not be as left as they are, unless mm-hmm. uh, that. I mean, I've met some conservatives and libertarians who are very very vocal people. Obviously, I run a podcast, um, but it's uh, I, I don't see it as being as common as left people being as vocal as they are, like just mm. regular everyday people. And I sometimes, yeah, there's this I, I, you're right. They act like, oh, you you were a writer. You're you're in the arts or whatever. So you must be as liberal as I am or as left as I am. And it's like that's a weird assumption to make. Um, well, and I, I think. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I was going to say it's in academia, too. The idea that everyone in academia must be left because they're in academia. Right. Like they, they, there's this weird begging the question kind of fallacy that they have about certain posi- certain positions, certain industries, um, that everyone within those industries must be on the left. Well, I think under what I was going to say is underlying that premise is that there are quite a few liberals who they, they have an idea that anybody who isn't a Democrat is is dumb, basically. And so people who know me well know that I'm not stupid. So they, they assume that, you know, they assume that only like, you know, banjo strumming idiots are are conservatives. So I think that there's also sort of that disdain, which underlies the premise. 
Well, and I've been saying this for a while, though. I think to some extent it's because of a left long-term camp- marketing campaign, essentially, to make the right out to be immoral and stupid, uh, which is it has worked on their base. I don't know that it's worked on anyone outside of their base necessarily. I, I mean, maybe some moderates and centrists believe that too, but I'm, I, I've noticed it for more than a decade that they've been doing this. And uh, so when they say they think that you cannot be smart and be outside of the left, you cannot be moral and be outside of the left. And um, again, you can't square that circle. It doesn't make any sense when you, um, when you really think about it. And also it silences people like you, you don't talk about politics with people that you know are not going to agree with you. And uh, so then there's no dialogue happening. And I think right. that's actually really dangerous in the long term for our culture and our ability to advance policy uh, in our governments. Right. Um, I will say, though, that I will say, though, that, you know, that's when I'm talking about not wanting to talk to people about that. That's like social that's in social situations. So when I have people over to my house or things like that, I don't want to argue about politics. However, I would love, 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 love to do interviews with liberal people, liberal podcast hosts, liberal TV stations, liberal. I mean, you know, I've given since I've started as a writer, I've given hundreds of, of interviews television interviews, radio interviews, podcast interviews, YouTube interviews, you name it. Do you know how many times I've been invited on liberal shows? Zero. So that is the frustrating thing. I'm perfectly willing to talk politics to people who are in that arena in a professional setting, but they don't want to they don't want to have someone like me on. So, you know, every time I get an interview request, you, you know, I can be sure like, you know, uh, last week, you know, I had some television channel, which I had never heard of before, request an interview with me. And we were out to dinner with my wife. And I said, oh, I got to get back. I have got a television interview with someone. She said, who is it with? And I said, oh, I can't remember. And she said, well, how do you know it's not like something crazy or, or you know, how do you know it's not this or that? Or don't you have to prepare? And I said, no, because, you know, I didn't even know what it was. And I, I knew that it, there was probably someone, it wasn't going to be a hardball interview. I know that they were agreeing with me that otherwise they wouldn't be inviting me on the show. So and, I, and you, do get, you do get a little lazy in a sense too, because I don't have to feel like, you know, if I was going on MSNBC, I'd be like, Oh, I better reread my article again and make sure I have all my ducks in order because they're going to be assaulting me. But I just, you just know if someone's asking you for an interview, they probably agree with what you wrote. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I find that kind of funny because I think that's what's happening right here too. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you on every political point. I would say, right. but like, when it comes don't have to, to, I know I don't, but I'm not liberal, and uh, which shocks people. It's one of those things where it's like, again, like you said, you know, people who assume because you're a writer, they assume you're liberal. Um, but yeah, I'm not liberal. So I invited you on because I'm a, I'm a free speech absolutist. Not that's certainly not a liberal stance these days. Um, <laughs> but it yeah, should be. it should be, it should be everybody's stance. Honestly, it should be. Um, but what do you uh, think the ACLU would say about my case? Like, honestly, I would love to know, <sighs> like, I mean, am I do any civil liberties at all? Like what would, I would love to I would love to talk to someone at the ACLU about my situation. Would they side with me or would they side with my accuser? I have a, I have a terrible feeling that they would not champion my cause. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I think original ACLU would definitely be on your side. If they were on the side of Nazis being able to make their statements, they're, they're, they're on everybody's side, which is what they were supposed to be. But now they're completely captured. Uh, I know we use that word a lot, but it was, they essentially don't believe in civil liberties for everybody anymore. They just don't. And, um, and then now you have to, there's new organizations popping up like Fair For All and um, other organizations like that that are trying to take the place of the old ACLU uh, specifically because they still believe in these ideals and are not seeing anyone defend them. Uh, so, I mean, it, there are organizations out there. It's just, they're not gonna be the ones that we would have gone to say 40 years ago, unfortunately. Right, because the problem is that in this day and age, um, let's face it, 40 years ago, our whole country and our whole culture was much more conservative than it is now, right? So 40 years ago, liberal free speech, liberals were having their free speech rights assaulted, right? They felt like they were under attack. So free speech was a big deal to them. Now it's much more common for, the, for conservatives to have their free speech being assaulted and our rights being taken away from us. So obviously free speech is the is issue 1A for a lot of us. So it's sort of like, they don't, there's very few liberals who feel like they don't have the ability to speak their minds in this, in this day and age, right? So I don't know, they're forgetting, I'm not saying they're forgetting about the issue entirely, but it's certainly back burner. It's not issue 1A for them, is it? No, and I'd say some of the big movers and shakers in it are actively against it because they they support hate speech laws. Right. Which is not and I like I remember a couple of years ago I wrote an article on generational um warfare, you know, the okay boomer, you know, millennials are ruining the world kind of attitudes everyone was having. And I looked up what people thought millennials believed in and one of the and what the research believed they believed in. And one of the things they said was that millennials believe that the government should involve themselves in speech and stop people from saying things. And I am a millennial and I was like, holy crap, that's what my generation believes. What is wrong with them? Like, so to right. me, I'm sorry. There are a bunch of people who do believe actively that the government should essentially put right. away with one a, uh, that it, Oh, it protects everything, but hate speech like that's not in there <laughs> and and fright and frighteningly enough the same people are willing to entrust to highly partisan leftist groups like the southern poverty law center they're, they're willing to allow groups such as the southern poverty law center to be the arbiters of who is a hate you know, what is hate speech or what is not a hate group or whatever and they you know they'll tar legitimate groups like for example the center for immigration studies for which i've written before as a quote unquote hate group, you know, lumping them in with the same basket as like the KKK. Uh, why? Because they support reduced levels, not zero level, but reduced levels of, of immigration. That's enough. To, that's enough essentially to get you branded a hate group these days. Yeah, they, uh, honestly, though, I'd say that hate speech as a policy is so vague, it's vague by design, honestly. Right. So as to take out your political competitors, that's yeah. I, I don't believe it's sincere. Um, I'm, I know that not everyone thinks that, but I don't believe it's sincere. I believe it is a cudgel uh, to be used against your political competitors so that you can get ahead. If you tell everyone this person is hateful and should be shut up, then you never get to hear about what they could possibly do for you 
what they could provide. Um, and then people don't vote for them. That's my thought anyway. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Well, uh, we've been going for about an hour. Do you have anything like any like subject that you really wanted to bring up while on my show? I think we've, I, I think we've had, we've had a nice discussion. I think we've covered things pretty well. We don't want to, we don't want to, uh, <laughs> I think belabor the point too much. I've been going on and on for probably 40 minutes of the, of the one hour. So I'll leave the last word with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for telling us your story about Goodreads, because I don't know that everybody knew that Goodreads was doing stuff like that to writers. Um, so it was very important information. And um, I think, again, just thank you so much. Yeah. Sorry. If you're interested in getting a lot of free reading material, uh, go to my website, which is <laughs> daveseminar.com at least links to free reading material a lot of the published articles that i've written are on there um if there are paywalls on some of them sorry about that but uh people who are savvy know how to get around those it's daveseminar.com and my last name is spelled like the word seminar but with an a at the end so daveseminar.com and uh i also have a think of me my book is called mad traveler but also remember that I also have a YouTube channel called uh, Mad Traveler and I've got them on Instagram too, which is Mad Traveler Dave. So check me out. Thank you again. And thank you for telling everyone where they could find you. I really appreciate that. This has been 451 Degrees on the Unsafe Space Network. If you like this video, please walk your fingers over to the like, share and subscribe buttons. And uh, I would really appreciate it if you would share this video and let your you know, friends, family share it on social media, all that stuff. Thank you again, everyone, for joining me for another episode of 451 Degrees. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production does not meet WHO health and safety standards. Please report to a United Nations sanitization center immediately. Association with the following individuals is strictly prohibited. Experts who benefit from printing money agree that printing money does not cause price inflation. Trust me, just two more weeks to slow the spread of monkeypox. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science. Scientific scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. 
Computer voice, Curtis. Never mind. That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.